This is New Testament survey, main text, Hebrews 9.15, and for this reason, he, meaning Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of his death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So here are some things that we're going to talk about today. What does the Bible say about itself? I want you to go to John 6.63. And first person there can start reading that. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And where do we have those words recorded? In our Bible. John 20, 31. These, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Wow. So why, is the, why did John write? What happens when you read his book? You get life. Amen. That is a, uh, a very important scripture in one of the uh, tracks that we use. Have you heard the good news? And that's the one they open with. They open with that scripture. These words are written that you might have life. Uh, it uses, I think, the word son of God. And then the next question is, who's the son of God? You get them to say Jesus. If you, if you actually follow the formula, it works really well. Yeah. If you don't follow the formula, your results go way down really quickly. But if you follow the formula, you read those texts, and then you say, and who is the Son of God? They say Jesus, and it's just like, you just, you follow it. It's really cool. Dave and Lynn Peterson uh, became experts at the formula, and they followed the formula, and they led tons of people to Christ. I became uh, convinced that the formula works by not using the formula, and just, hi, how you doing? I'm Brad, what's your name? You know, da, 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 da. And I'd try to get this out, and I'd, I'd try to just do it out of my personality. They were just like, you got a good personality, but you know, who's Jesus? And it, it didn't go anywhere. And so they don't want your personality. They, they want, people, you have to kind of be stupid not to go to heaven. So everybody wants to go to heaven. They don't want to go to hell. They have funny little problems with the logic. And so if you will follow tracks like this, you'll avoid the traps, get people to heaven, help them to avoid hell. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Amen. So it's profitable for lots of things, isn't it? It's God's word, and it's good for us, isn't it? My, the words that I speak to you, they are what? Spirit and they are life. This is a living book. This isn't just a textbook from a history book or anything like that. This is a book that's alive. This is a book you have a relationship with. This is a book that you meet God when you open it up. This is God's love letter to me personally. God can take this book and speak through it and speak to me personally through this book. It's an amazing book. No other book has this power. To speak to you personally, to speak to your personal situation, to address specific needs at the time when you open it up and read it. It's powerful that way. Spirit and life. Who wants to read Romans 1, 6? Joe's already there. Yes, sir. Uh, this is the Amplified. For I am not ashamed of the gospel good news of Christ, for it is God's power working unto salvation for deliverance from eternal death to everyone who believes with a personal trust and confident surrender and firm reliance to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is number one. It is God's what? Uh, the power of God 
uh, for salvation. Okay. What's the, probably the second point you can take out of that? To everyone who believes. It's for everyone who believes. It's God's power, and it's for everyone. But what's the condition? Who believes. And what does it do? It brings deliverance from eternal death yep. and works for salvation. Amen. It saves us from hell, takes us, shows us how, how to get to heaven, right? How do we get to heaven? That's a relationship. It's a relationship. Amen. Okay, so the Bible has several main divisions. First, all right, the New Testament has several main divisions. What are the first four books called? The Gospels. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The main divisions are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who is Matthew? Jesus, Levi the tax collector. He was formerly a tax collector. When Jesus called him, he said, you know, I need to think about it. You know, I'm so busy here. I'm like, I got a good job here. I'm making a lot of money. Let me think about it. I'll get back to you in a month or so. Is that what he said? What does it say he did? Just left all and followed Jesus. Who is Mark? So Mark is a disciple of Peter. Mark gets his material from Peter. He's a disciple of Peter. And he is sometimes linked to the one who they grabbed his cloak and he ran away naked in the Garden of Gethsemane. They wonder if that might be the same Mark because he was standing there right with Peter when Peter cut off the ear of the high priest servant Malchus. Mark's right there. You know, they said this young man ran away. Could have been him. Anyways, Mark is considered to be, considered to get his material from Peter, listening to Peter. Peter didn't write one of the Gospels. And so Mark is probably the one who got the information from Peter and wrote that down. Who is Luke? A doctor, the beloved physician, and a Gentile. Yes. Was he an eyewitness? Incredibly uh, good historian who found lots of eyewitness accounts and compiled them together. Yeah. Yes. And he was always, he was always, who was the leader in charge? Who was the person here? And who was the, and uh, when Caesar Augustus and this and that and the other thing, he, he was a first-rate historian. And we have basically been able to verify all of these records uh, going forward. Matthew, Mark, Luke. John, who is John? John's a fisherman. John was a fisherman, yes. Um, where was John when Jesus appears? Uh, he's the son of Zebedee. Where was John? He was working on his nets with his brother. Nope. Where was John when he meets Jesus? He was with John the Baptist. John was going for it. John was after it. John was really getting after it. And John was out there with those wild people getting baptized, and the, the, he, was, he was looking for the Messiah. And John, John knew Peter, but really getting after it, and he was right there with John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then that's when they all went, Okay, see you, John. We're, we're going after this guy. And really, and John said, I must decrease, that he must increase. Disciples, right? John became Jesus' disciple. Sure. So John is an eyewitness. Luke is not an eyewitness. Mark may have been an eyewitness. Matthew definitely was. Matthew and John, definitely eyewitnesses. Mark could have been, but we know that he got most of his material from Peter, and Luke got most of his material from the rest of the apostles. Luke was probably getting it from a number of people, a number of apostles. OK, the languages. What language was the New Testament written in? Greek. Greek. What language was it spoken in? Aramaic. 
It was spoken in Aramaic. Okay, what language did Jesus speak? Aramaic. Correct. Okay, spoken Aramaic, written Greek. Why do you think that was the case? Because that was the area. No, why, why, would you, why would you write it in Greek if everybody was speaking in Aramaic? Oh, because you wanted to, to reach out to the Gentiles? Yes, yes. Because Greek is really the, the sort of the business language of the region. It, it would be much the same as, as writing it in English, even though maybe this, this happened in uh, S southern Africa and everybody, most of the people were speaking Swahili. So Jesus spoke in Aramaic. Paul would alternately, and you can see this in... Uh, you can see this in the book of Acts, that he would switch from, from speaking Greek to, to Aramaic. He'd be speaking to the Jews in Aramaic, but then he would address a soldier in Greek. And then, you speak Greek? Yeah, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. Ah, well, we can't beat him. Things like that. So, culture and context. Who is ruling and reigning at the time that uh, the New Testament was written? Rome. Rome is, is ruling. Are the Jews happy about this? <laughs> no, no. But there is one particular thing that's, that's very interesting about it, is just, be just before Jesus appears, Caesar Augustus unites the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire is formally fractionalized, and, and there were, there's competing generals and lots of infighting and stuff like that. But Caesar becomes Caesar. And he takes over and he unites the whole thing. And so now we have this one overarching government over the entire Middle East and Mediterranean area. And we have one language, one monetary system. We have safe routes of travel without lots of bands of robbers and things like that so that the message can spread. If you had all these competing little kingdoms and you couldn't go from across a border, uh, without getting attacked, the gospel would have been very regionalized. But because Caesar Augustus had, had sort of united the Roman Empire, and Alexander the Great had previously really conquered that empire, and the Roman road system had been created, the context, of the, the timing was absolutely perfect for the gospel seed to be sown into the world. Important story. So that's the culture and the context. The dates. Roughly, Jesus is roughly born at zero or, or about, you know, other people say four A.D. So Jesus' birth is somewhere between zero and four A.D. Jesus' death is approximately, or say, 33 to 36 A.D. And then the Gospels, the, the New Testament books, begin to be written roughly 45 to, some say, about 90 A.D., somewhere in this in this period is where the New Testament is written. Importantly, our oldest manuscript dates back to 125 AD. It's actually a paper, it's a fragment, it's not a complete book, but it is completely harmonious with other books all the way back to 125 AD. In comparison, the oldest piece of classical literature are the Gallic Wars by Caesar Augustus, who writes basically at this time. The Gallic Wars by Caesar Augustus, the oldest extant manuscript dates to 800 AD. This is the Gallic Wars, 
And yet nobody ever challenges whether or not that's an accurate document. Everybody always assumes that the Gallic Wars is a completely accurate document, a correct and reliable historical document. And there's only maybe one or there's only like one copy from 800 AD, and then the next one is like 1,000 AD, the next, the next best copy we have. Here, we have one here. We have a multitude that begin to appear at 200, and then 300, and then 350. The one that we found, we found a complete Bible. It's really kind of cute. We actually found the Bible in the Vatican <laughs> about 100 years ago, looking around the Vatican Library, and they found an old, old copy that dates back to 350 AD. How did you guys lose that? <laughs> Anyways, 350 AD, and this is called Vaticanus, this manuscript here. At 200, it's called Sinaiticus, but we have one found in the Sinai, and about 300, we found one in Alexandria. So, we have a complete Bible at Alexandria in 300, at the Vatican dated to 350, and found in the Sinai at about 200. We have tons of fragments and pieces and papers, you know, dating from around this time period. Tons. You have one here. The Bible is an accurate book. It's an incredibly accurate book. Some of the earliest printed and bound New Testaments were uh, completed in the 1500s, but they were based on texts that were maybe from around 600 and, and, and right around there. And so our more recent translations are going all the way back to these versions, and really there's no data loss. There's just you know, some minor discrepancies, but they are certainly not doctrinal. They're just, you know, a lot of times it's just uh, clerical, typographical kinds of things. So we definitely, definitely have an accurate Bible that is not a translation of a translation of a translation and copied down but through many years and you know, data loss and things like that. You just don't have that. We have several authors. Who are our authors? Well, of course, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Roger mentioned Paul. Name another one. Peter. We got John. Yep, and he wrote other books as well. James. Who is James? The Lord's brother. James is the Lord's brother. And what's interesting is that the four Gospels don't really record him as a believer during the life of Jesus. He becomes a believer sometime after the crucifixion or around the crucifixion. Really interesting story. James then becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So James is kind of the bishop of Jerusalem and really kind of the, the leader there with Peter. And it tends to sort of corrupt some of the claims that Peter is the first, first and great founder of the church and Peter's apostolic succession and all that kind of stuff. Well, James was kind of the boss in Jerusalem. So we have James, the brother of Jesus. And then who does Jude say that he is? James is the brother of Jesus. Well, what happens is the reason why that is just a little bit interesting is that the Catholics, it makes them nervous <laughs> because Mary's God. God didn't have all those babies. You know, she was so perfect. Mary had a family. Mary had lots of little lambs. And when it says that Mary and, and Jesus' brothers were outside, and Jesus says, who are my mother, my brothers and my sisters? Those who do the will of God. So Mary had a family. Number of books, 27. Paul, 
is for purposes of this course, Paul is the writer of Hebrews. Why do I say that? Because, for, for a number of reasons. One is that most scholars tend to agree that, that Paul is the writer of Hebrews, but also because Jesus appeared to Kenneth Hagin, and Kenneth Hagin asked him. <laughs> All right, you know, that, that, would, that would do it for me. Um, let's go to the book of Malachi. And Malachi tells us to be looking for the Messiah. Chapter 4 and verse 5. Who will read uh, Malachi 4, 5 through 6? He talks about the arrival of John the Baptist. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And so when the gospel writers begin writing, who do they first start talking about? John the Baptist. What did Malachi say? There's a guy coming. Now somebody look up Matthew 11:14. You will receive it. This is Elias, which was for to come, which was for to come. What's Jesus talking about? John the Baptist. There's Elijah. In other words, Jesus says, this is the guy that Malachi was talking about. Malachi is the last writer of the Old Testament. All of the writers, the, the gospel writers, as they record their narrative, talk about how John the Baptist comes first. Jesus says, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, and he was the one who opened the door for Jesus to come. Do you see this? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what the New Testament talks about. There's some certain characters. There are these scribes and Pharisees. Scribes. Scribes were people who copied the Old Testament the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, they were a student of the Scriptures, and they taught and wrote interpretation of the, interpretations of the Law and the Prophets. They were Bible students. They were Bible copiers. Then there were the Pharisees. They were a large lay movement of middle-class religious Jews known for their strict observance of the minute details of the Jewish law. These were the people who were really trying hard. And which New Testament character came from this group? Paul was raised in this tradition. Paul was trying hard. Paul was raised with a thorough and complete understanding of the Old Testament. He, interestingly enough, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, was the best educated person of his day. Moses was raised, uh, educated in Pharaoh's court. Moses had the finest education you could get in that day. Moses was a man enormously used by God, perhaps the most used by God in the Old Covenant. Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, was the best educated man in his time. It said, one of the kings, I think it was King Agrippa, said, because of your great learning, you've gone mad, because Paul was obviously bright. He was obviously brilliant. Your education, this time in class, is never wasted time. Education, preparation, is never lost time. Moses, the best educated man in his day, did the most in his day. Paul, the best educated man in his day, did the most in his day. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance the words of God. And so the more word you've got in you, Paul 
had tons of scripture memorized as a Pharisee. The more word he had in him, the more God could do with him. Believing, as long as, as, long as that is with a believing heart and a pliable heart, but you put the word in you. Memorize the word. Memorize the word. Memorize the word. This is New Testament survey. Spend time in this book. Don't just listen to me. Don't just come to class. Fall in love with this book. Read this and read this and read this. Charles Wesley was a member of what they called the Holy Club, and eventually they were called the Methodists. But in his day, his group was called the Holy Club. And what they would do, Charles and his brothers and, and, and his friends there, Oxford, would read the Bible on their knees out loud, one sentence at a time, and then pray. On their knees, read out loud another sentence, and pray through the whole Bible. And this is what they did over and over again. Process. And so Charles Wesley would preach open air, and he would preach to as many as 20,000 people and could be heard at the end of the crowd quoting large passages of Scripture from memory. He changed England, and he changed America, and he set the course and he set the foundation of this country, and he changed his generation in his lifetime. He changed the world in his lifetime. How did this happen? Largely because of prayer and Bible study. How is God going to use you? You need to prepare. You need to memorize this stuff. You need to read and read and read and fall in love with the Word of God, and God will use you the same way. Scribes, Pharisees, uh, let me just cover a couple more characters. Um, the high priest. There was a high priest always in Judaism, and he was kind of the ruler, and he, would rule, he was a political, religious, and civil ruler. And you also get the feeling that it was always, it was kind of uh, passed around the family and kind of held in certain families, and it was sort of like, you know, the high priest's uncle and cousin, and, and there was, it, it kind of, they, didn't, they didn't let it out very far. It was a closed circle, and uh, when Paul didn't realize it was the high priest standing there, when they sent the group to go get Jesus, there were cousins and uncles and stuff of the high priest. It, it, was, a, it was a tight circle. All right, all right, that's good enough. We're, we're good for tonight, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll pick this up next week. Amen.